Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. In Matthew chapter 3, we're reading of a man named John the Baptist. John the Baptizer. In verse 1, it says, In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. For he is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, who said, A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now John had a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then people from Jerusalem, all Judea and all the vicinity of the Jordan were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River confessing their sins. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, who warns you to flee? From the coming wrath. Therefore produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I. I am not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with fire that never goes out. There's interesting thoughts, you know, if we really believe that the coming and return of our Lord and Savior and King Jesus is as imminent as. We do, and as we believe it is as close and we are on the precipice of the return of Jesus, then we ought to be actually taking some lessons from this passage and from this man. Because there is preparation necessary for the coming of Jesus. There is preparation that is necessary. And John came with a specific assignment. John was born six months prior to Jesus. So he's in the family. He's his cousin. He came before him. He is known as the forerunner. He's known as the one that went and prepared the way, made a way for Jesus the flesh, Jesus the Son of God in the earth, literally, physically made a way for his return. And if we look at some of these dynamics in this passage, I think it will give us a pretty good idea of what we ought to be consumed with today as a church, what ought to be at the forefront of our interest if we truly believe that the day is drawing near. And I don't need to to even begin to describe to you the elements and the events that are showing up that prove to us we are closer than ever before. We are on the cusp of the return 
of Jesus. But before he returns, there will be a great movement in the earth that will prepare the way for his return. There will be a shaking of the nations. There will be a a word going forth, a revival taking place, an awakening arising, a remnant that will be left behind, a remnant that will remain to receive Jesus as king. And we have an assignment as the church of the living God to prepare the way of the Lord. It starts off here in verse 1 by saying that John the Baptist in those days was preaching in the wilderness. The wilderness is a a common um, uh, location for things that happened in the word of God. You might remember that the Israelites, when they came out of Egypt, before they entered the promised land, they had to go through the wilderness. There's things that happen in the wilderness. The wilderness is an obscure place. The wilderness is a place where things aren't seen and known. Things are not recognized. Things are not, uh, um, uh, you know, out in the open. The, The wilderness is a place that you go to to be prepared for the real thing. The wilderness is not the thing. But the wilderness is necessary to get to the thing that God has for us, the thing that God has called us. And we need, I I believe the church uh, needs to recognize that we are in and have been in a wilderness moment. A moment where the church has not been valued as it ought to. The church has not been uh, uh, at the forefront as it should. Uh, Over about the last 20 years, I would say, we have seen the church take a back seat. We have seen a value and emphasis uh, uh, of the church. Um, It it has has been uh, uh, not as strong as it used to be and as strong as it ought to be. In the 2000s and and really in the last 20 years, we have lost some great giants and generals of the faith. Billy Graham has passed away. Kenneth Hagin passed away. Oral Roberts passed away. We've seen some great men in the last 20 years that have passed on. And when they passed on, they they weren't just passing on to glory, but they were passing on assignment to you and I. I heard someone say this a while back. They said, the generation that treats church as optional teaches the next generation that church is unnecessary. We're always just but one generation away from Losing the cause of Christ. It's not just about what we are doing and what we are living in and and what we are processing. It's about what are we passing on to the next generation. We've seen some great men of faith pass on, but in doing so, they left behind a heritage. They left behind a legacy. They left behind, this is what you've got to strive for. This is what you've got to go after. This is what you, you've got to uh, work to claim back for the kingdom of God. But in this process, the, the church lost its identity. 
Identity can be lost or discovered in the wilderness. Identity can be lost or discovered in the wilderness. And if you don't think the wilderness is important, and if you don't think that I don't need to go through the wilderness, I'll take you right into the next chapter, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the what? Wilderness. To be tempted by the devil. The Israelites, when they came out of Egypt and went into the wilderness, they lost their identity. Jesus, when he came up out of the waters and went into the wilderness, found his identity. Because the devil three times came to him and says, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, if you, and Jesus used that opportunity. It can either shore up who you are or it can fight who you are. It's all about what you do in the wilderness and what you do in the wilderness determines what you receive in the promise. What you do in the wilderness determines what you receive in the promise. And there's a lot of the church that lost their identity during a wilderness season. A lot of the church lost their identity. Because anytime you try to compare, copy, imitate, or reflect the wrong source, then you come to the wrong conclusions. And the world began to be a greater influence on the church than the church was as an influence on the world. We all know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. The church lost its identity. We began to see people leave because of the word we were preaching, and so we decided to uh, institute and, and, and initiate programs and plans and, and things that we thought would attract them just to get them in the door. But then we found out, well, we got them here, but we don't have anything to give them to keep them here. We got them in the door, and we got them at the seat, but we didn't have any depth of word. We didn't have any love for the Lord. We didn't have a, a, a true desire to disciple people, not just to convert people. We weren't teaching them to be filled and baptized and empowered by the Holy Spirit, who is the very one that qualifies you and changes you and transforms you into the image of, of God, the Son, Jesus. We're missing all the key elements. Doors are still open. Worship teams are still on stages. Pastors and preachers are still giving messages. But over time, we began to recognize there's no power behind any of the program. There's no power. And this wilderness season is important because this is the season where we prepare for the coming of Jesus. This is the season that we're actually supposed to be making way for the Lord. This wilderness season is not a season for us to kick back and say, well, you know, nobody really cares about the church anymore, so, you know, we'll just, we'll just get along and get by as we can until Jesus returns. No, this was the time to be turning up the heat. This was the time to be finding out who we are in Christ. This was the time, this was the time for some of us to be learning how to stand in faith. This was the time for some of us to be understanding how to stand against opposition, and obstacles. This was a time where we're supposed to be learning how to depend on the Holy Spirit and not our own natural ability to produce a, a, a result. 
The wilderness is a, is a very important season in everyone's life. And you will always go, you have to go through it. If you try to avoid and shortcut the wilderness season, then you will ultimately avoid and shortcut the plan and promise of God on the other side. But I can promise you, if you will endure the wilderness as we are, are taught to, and as we are shown to, and as we are supposed to, then you will receive and you will see the glory of God manifest on the other side. You will see it. But what happens in the wilderness changes everything on the other side. The message came in verse 2 saying, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now it's literally come near because Jesus is physically in the earth. The king of kings and the Lord of lords is physically walking the planet. No one knows it at this time other than John the Baptist. And the only reason John the Baptist knows it is by the spirit of God. The people in his own household, the people in his own neighborhood, the people living right there in Nazareth had no clue what was living among them for the last 30 years. No idea that the son of the living God, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, is right here in our midst. He works at that shop down there where they build furniture. And we know his mom and his dad and we know his brothers and his sisters. And, we, and he's built us a bed and he's built us a dining table and he built this chair over here. He's over there. Right, he's right there in the midst. But it took someone to proclaim with authority in a wilderness, the kingdom of heaven is near. You will miss, you will miss what is right in your midst until you get in the wilderness season and you hear prophetically by the Spirit of God, this is what I'm doing in the earth today. There are many people that will miss what God is doing in these last days, and they will go about their casual lives with nothing different, no change, no, no awareness of what is happening. That's one of the great things about wilderness is it raises awareness. It raises awareness. Raises awareness of my sin and my situation. Raises awareness of what is out of alignment. Or raises awareness of a God that is so great and so good and, and, and is returning and he's coming. It raises an awareness of the power and the ability he's placed inside me. It raises an awareness of the price that he paid. It raises an awareness of the spirit of God that can dwell inside of me and empower me and quicken me in normal day-to-day -day life. It raises an awareness But the Bible tells us that in these last days, there will be many that will sleep. They'll sleep right through it. See, the return of Jesus is, 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 is it's not on our schedule. It might be in your mind, but it's not on your calendar. In fact, the only thing we're assured of in the return of Jesus is that you won't know when it comes. That's the only assurance you have. It's not for you to know the times and seasons, he told his disciples in Acts chapter one. Using a couple of these parables in Matthew chapter um, 25, with the parable of the wise 
foolish virgins and the wise, uh, or the, the five foolish virgins and the five wise virgins. In verse five, when the groom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. And this has happened to the church. The groom has delayed. Now, the groom hasn't delayed. He knows exactly when he's coming. He knows exactly when he's supposed to be coming. The father knows exactly what he's doing. So the groom isn't delayed like, uh, you know, he got held up in traffic on the way down to heaven, on the way down to earth from heaven. He's not running behind. He didn't oversleep. They didn't, you know, take a super long time on his order at Starbucks, and so he's, you know, trying to get to earth. No, he's delayed only because you and I are having to wait longer than we expected. You know that the, the Christians that were alive in the book of Acts, they had the same expectation that you and I have. We're talking for 2,000 years, he could come at any moment. Well, you know, what, you know what delay does? Delay begins to bring disappointment. And delay begins to affect your expectation. And delay begins to cause you to sit back and get comfortable. And Well, you know, he didn't come today. Well, he didn't come. Maybe he'll come tomorrow. Well, he didn't show up today. Delay has a way of putting you back on your heels. But the church is supposed to be prepared for the return of Jesus. It says they got drowsy and fell asleep. And in the middle of the night, there was a shout, here's the groom, come and meet him. In the middle of the night. You go on down and to the parable of the talents, verse 19. When the master gives the talents, goes on a long journey, and it says in verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. After a long time, meaning it wasn't on the schedule, it wasn't on the calendar, it was longer than they expected, but he came back. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 2 in the Amplified reads this way. For you yourselves know perfectly well that the day of the return of the Lord is coming just as a thief comes unexpectedly and suddenly in the night. It, it, you know, it's tough to be prepared for something when you don't know when it's coming. Right? It's easy to be prepared when you know when you need to be prepared by. But preparation, when you don't know when that ends, prepar preparation, when you don't know when this is going to transition from preparing to actually arriving, to, from, from just talking about the return of Jesus to when he actually returns. But here's the thing. You don't want to be preparing after he's come. You don't want to be doing that labor and that work and scrambling around like the five foolish virgins that didn't have oil in their lamps. It's too late at that point. So our focus as a church right now, I'm not just talking anchor faith, I'm talking about the church of the living God, the remnant, his people that are going to be remaining. We have to be prepared. 
I'm not just talking about getting your heart right. I'm talking about what is God doing in the earth and how am I participating with the plan and move of God in the earth today? Gone are the days where you can just go about your casual life, do your nine to five, feed the kids, get them washed up, get them in bed and do it all over again the next day with no thought whatsoever to the coming of Jesus and what am I participating in in the earth today for the move of God. It has got to be at the forefront of our efforts. It's got to be at the forefront of our emphasis. And so John the Baptist is saying, the kingdom is near. The kingdom of heaven is is right within your reach. It's at hand. At hand means it's within your grasp. Closer than it's ever been. And he's saying this to a group of people that haven't heard from God in over 500 years. From Malachi to Matthew, we have a gap of what we call the silent years. God doesn't, God closes his mouth and he doesn't say one word to his people for over 500 years. You think that they thought he was delayed? Do you think that they were prepared? Do you think that they were ready? And the prophet Isaiah spoke of this. In the Passion Translation, Matthew chapter 3, And verse 3 reads this way, Isaiah was referring to John when he prophesied, a thunderous voice. One will be crying out in the wilderness, prepare yourself for the Lord's coming and level a straight path inside your hearts for him. It's the voice of John the Baptist crying out, making way for Jesus the Son, walking the earth in the flesh. And now, as a church, we find ourselves in the same position once again. And I believe that the John the Baptists of the world are on the rise. I believe that there are churches that will sound and look like John the Baptist. It won't be a lot of them. Because John the Baptist is crazy. John the Baptist lives in this wilderness. means he lives in a place of preparation. So he, he lives life differently than you and I. He eats locusts and honey. Even his diet is distinguished from the rest of the world. What he feeds on. What he what he uh, engages in, what he lets into his life is very much different. John the Baptist is distinguished. Not everybody can be John the Baptist. Not everybody can live that kind of life. But I believe that there's a church rising up that will be the voice of John the Baptist in the earth to usher in the move of Jesus. And that, that people's gonna look crazy. That people's gonna look radical. That people's gonna look confusing. That people's gonna get made fun of. That people's gonna get mocked. But we know what our assignment is, and our assignment is to usher in Jesus so that you can have an opportunity to meet him when he comes before it's too late. It describes him. As the one wearing camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. What's that an image of? It's an image of being distinguished. It's an image of cutting back what others allow and tolerate. 
the church, uh, the, the church that's going to usher in Jesus is going to be a laser-focused church. The church that's going to usher in Jesus is not going to have time for all the silliness of the world. The church that's going to usher in Jesus ain't going to have time for all the goofiness and, and, and all the other things that consume our time and consume our calendars and consume our agendas like the world does. I'm just telling you how it is. I know it sounds bold and radical, but that's what John the Baptist was, bold and radical. And he didn't care what you thought about it. He didn't care how he looked. He didn't ask your opinion. He didn't consult what you thought about it. We're talking about there is no insecurity in John the Baptist. John the Baptist is rising up in these days, and it's going to look just as crazy. Might not be wearing camel hair with leather belts and literally eating locusts and honey, but I can tell you right now, there's gonna be something about our countenance, something about our posture, something about our talk, something about our attitude, something about our responses, something about our behavior that is gonna be so distinguishing from the rest of the world, and I'll even go this far, from the rest of the church. Because there's a specific call in a specific assignment. And we cannot be consumed with the things that consumes the world. We cannot allow the things that allow the world, that the world allows. It's gonna look a lot different. John the Baptist is a confrontational guy. In verse five, it says, people from Jerusalem, all Judea, all the vicinity of the Jordan were going out to him. They were drawn to that. Nothing attractive about camel hair and leather belts. Nothing attractive about a man eating locusts and honey. You would think that this is the very guy we want to stay away from. Some of y'all are thinking that right now. That's the, please tell me who that church is. I do not want to go there. But there was something drawing people to him. Because see, when it's the Holy Spirit, people will come. And you won't need all the gimmicks and the tricks that the world uses. We ministered on it several weeks ago. It will be hunger, not hype. I think people are getting weary of, of hype. I think people are getting tired of being, something being oversold and over-exaggerated and find out it can't do half of what they said it could do. I think people are getting tired of that. Get me the real deal. Get me, people, get me around people that are solid. Get me around a community that I know I can fight with and believe with and lock arms with. I'm tired of all this, the surface stuff on the outside playing the part. But when we get, you're just as broken. I want to get around somebody that I can fight with that I know has got my back and I'll get their back and they'll go before me and they'll go behind me and they'll surround me. That's the kind of people that we're looking for in these last days. Hype isn't doing it anymore. Hype's not cutting it anymore. No, this is going to be a hunger. It's going to be a draw. And there is something attractive about the Holy Spirit. See, for 20 years, we told people in church that people don't want anything to do with the Holy Spirit. You can't talk in tongues, they'll leave. You can't have operations and manifestations of the Spirit in a church. How else are you going to get sinners in? And then they condemn you for it and make you feel bad for it because you're not really reaching the lost. 
When I look in the Bible, some of the most confusing individuals were some of the most attractive individuals. Do you know what happened in Acts chapter 2? I know that they've told you that that tongue-talking stuff and, and move of the Spirit and, and, and empowering of the Spirit is not for today or it's of the devil. But do you know what happened as a result of that? Read on down to the end of the book. 3,000 souls came into the kingdom that day on the most confusing church service that has ever been on the face of this planet. There's no Pentecostal church on this planet that holds a, a, a candle to what happened in Acts chapter 2. They thought they were drunk. They're talking in other languages. They're unlearned men and women, uneducated. Almost detached from society. I'm telling you, this move is going to look so extraordinarily different. It's going to be, it's going to blow your mind what God is going to do and who he's going to use and where he's going to do it. It's going to blow this, this nation away when they find out what's happening in Valdosta, Georgia. Valdosta, V-Town? You're talking about Title Town, USA? You know, with all the championships, all the football? You mean they love the Lord? You mean the Holy Spirit had an outbreak in South Georgia? That's going to be people's responses. Who's out there preaching repentance? Who's out there having this great move? John, the, the, the guy that eats locusts and honey? But they're coming from all over. It says they came from all over Judea. See, th this is why we've got to rely on the Holy Spirit. Because he knows exactly who needs to be drawn in. How to get them. Way better than we do. And we can attend all the strategy meetings and all the leadership conferences and all the church planning growth gurus all over the planet. But when it comes down to it, you've got to be able to follow the Holy Spirit because he knows what your community needs in here, in Valdosta, and in the surrounding regions. He knows. Just follow the Holy Spirit. Just follow the Holy Spirit. It says people from Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the vicinity of the Jordan. I mean, we've got to start calling in the people. We've got to start calling them in. Would you hook up with me in that? Would you do that with me? Would you start calling people in? I mean, I, I know you got a desk job. I know that you're a cashier. I know you're a teacher and educator. I know you're running a business. But would you just take time every day? Father, we're calling them in from the north, the south, the east, and the west. I call them in from Brooks County in the name of Jesus. I call them in from Lanier County in the name of I call them in from Moody Air Force Base in the name of I call them in from Valdosta State. You Start walking the grounds everywhere you go, everywhere you put your foot. He's giving you. Start calling them in. Quit pointing out their sinfulness, how crazy they are. They always talk behind your back. They cuss, they gossip, they spit, they, they, they do all the, start calling them into the kingdom of God. The drunkards and the prostitutes and the drug dealers. Call them in. They need to come in. They need to come in. 
all of the vicinity. Verse 6, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. I want to read this out of the Amplified. I think I got it. Verse 1, in those days John the Baptist appeared preaching in the wilderness of Judea along the western side of the Dead Sea and saying, repent, change your inner self, your old way of thinking, regret past sins, live your life in a way that proves repentance, seek God's purpose for your life. And you thought repent was just boo-hoo and cry at an altar. That's repent. Change your inner self, your old way of thinking. Regret past sins. Live your life in a way that proves repentance. And seek God's purpose for your life. That's repentance. See, revival always demands a change. It's impossible to be the same after. If you truly encounter the glory of God, if you truly encounter a move of God, you truly encounter, and what you are really encountering is transformational power that changes you from the inside out. Not from the outside in, but from the inside out. You don't have those desires anymore. You don't go back to that anymore. You don't live that way anymore. The crowd you hang with changes. The music you listen to changes. The things you engage in changes. The movies you watch change. The music you listen to changes. It's not about legalism and being religious and if I do all these things. But there is no way that you can be impacted by revival in your spirit and still engage the things you once did. You will Change your inner self, your old way of thinking. Regret past sins. Live your life in a way that proves repentance and seek God's purpose for your life. That's true repentance. True repentance. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the one who was mentioned by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one shouting in the wilderness, prepare the road for the Lord. Make his highways straight, level, direct. Ultimately, this is how we prepare the way for the Lord to come in. The Lord will not take just any road to get to you. That's a very specific road he's looking for. That's a very specific road. The one that's prepared. The one that's paved. The one that's leveled. The one where he's welcomed. Now again, he's coming regardless. The question is, do you have a road prepared for him to take? Do you have a path made for him to get to you? Did you do what was necessary prior to his return that he can get to your heart? Prepare the way. How do we do that? Repentance. Change. 
See, the only way to fix dysfunction is to disrupt it. The only way to change dysfunction is to disrupt it. I, 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 you know, it's comical to me when people try to ease into correcting something. For everyone that says January 1st and you have your New Year's resolutions, start today. The wise open, go get a gym membership today. Don't ease in it with January 1. You're counting down the days. You know exactly how many days it is till January 1. You're going to go work out? Start today. You're going to eat right? Start today. You're going to quit doing that? Start today. Right now. Disrupt it. Right now. What are you waiting for? Why live in 30 more days in something you've already acknowledged that is harmful? Is already acknowledged, I don't need this. Why would I tolerate another second? Why would I tolerate another moment? Why would I go back to that person, stay in that relationship, stay connected to that, continue to feed on this, continue to allow? Why would I do that when I've already acknowledged in my mind I'm better off without it? Disrupt it. Get a new schedule. Set your alarm for a different time tomorrow. Delete the app. I'm just giving you some tidbits. Those are free of charge. That's free. Verse 4, now this same John had clothing made of camel's hair and a wide leather band around his waist and his food with locusts. And wild honey. And at that time, Jerusalem was going out to him, and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. I can tell you right now, it might be different, but it doesn't mean it doesn't have to be attractive. When they're drawn by the Holy Spirit, it won't matter what it looks like. It won't matter what it sounds like. It won't matter if you have all your ducks in a row. It, it won't matter if, we, if, you, if you're, I'm telling you, it, it's going to break so many rules. Now I got to get to the next section. If you haven't been challenged yet, you will be here in a minute. Verse 5, verse Seven, sorry, verse seven. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, uh oh. See, the Spirit of God doesn't always attract just what you want. And not everybody that comes comes for the right reasons. They'll all have the same opportunity. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, this is the religious elite. Not only did they have education and learning, they had money and wealth and influence in their communities. They ran the temple. They set up the, the, the law system. These were the religious. These were the learned. These were the educated. These were the ones that, that already had achieved and accomplished to a certain degree. Many times when we think about revival, we think about those that are being drawn in that are on the outside. But we also see here that there are those that ought to be on the inside. 
that already have a level of knowing who God is, already have uh, uh, acquired some uh, level of experiencing God or knowing God or attesting their lives and devoting their lives to him. But even in revival, even in the wilderness, there's opportunity for change. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers. Look at this. Who warned you? Who warned you to flee from the divine wrath and judgment to come? They heard a warning. They heard an alarm. There was a draw. He's here. The kingdom is at hand. They were warned, but they weren't ready. Last few weeks, we've talked about the wise and the foolish. The wise and the foolish. The word foolish in the Bible does not mean unlearned or uneducated. It means one not containing spiritual sense. That you can't see and perceive spiritually. That's why Jesus made the statement, if you have ears to hear, let him hear. Because there will be those that have ears to hear, but yet do not hear. And they have eyes to see, but yet do not see. Those are foolish people. And many times, the foolish spiritually are the wise naturally. Because what happens is, is when we accumulate natural wisdom, we begin to rely on and depend on our natural ability rather than our spiritual ability to respond and comprehend and see. I'm not saying you can't gain natural wisdom. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be educated and we shouldn't do the best we have with what we have, uh, the best we can with what we have at our disposal in natural resources. But at the end of the day, if that's what you're relying on and that's what you're depending on, it will become very evident in the wilderness. The wilderness has a way of dividing between natural and spiritual. There's no fence sitting in the wilderness. Everybody gets knocked off one way or the other. Last year, we saw a lot of fence sitters get knocked off one way or the other. And I hope you got knocked off in the right direction. Hope you got knocked off into, I'm serious about this thing. I can't do that again. I can't go through that. Doing that on my own was garbage. Trying to figure that out, I, I, I don't even have words to put into what took place last year. I need the Holy Spirit in my life. Some of you confronted that thing, challenged that thing, and said, why have I been so resistant? Why have I been so hesitant? Why have I been so reluctant to the baptism of the Holy? I need this thing. Apparently, those people are doing much better than these people people over here and I need what they have and the wilderness has a way of knocking people off the fence you're either all in or you're all out I, I mean I've, I've literally had people tell me literally had people tell me and they know that I'm a pastor and they still admit it my church shut down last year and when they finally reopened because it was online, 
It was just easier to stay at home. I can't even, it's more than two hands. I can promise you that. That's literally what they tell me. You know I'm a pastor. And you're admitting to me that we purposefully, with intent, stayed home and watched it rather than went to the building and attended in person. But you just got knocked off the fence just in the wrong direction. That's not to bring condemnation. Maybe that's you in the room. Maybe you. Maybe that was you last year. That's why we weren't on the internet. It didn't provide us any benefit. I have pastors ask me all the time, How can, you don't do live stream? You don't, I might, we might be the only church in America that isn't live stream. I don't know. But they sure act like it. It's providing me no benefit. I'm gaining nothing by putting our services live on the internet. Every, well, people ought to hear this word. They come to the building. Well, they don't live here. Then they need to find a spirit-filled Holy Ghost church where they live and get hooked up and get connected. But that, that's it's watching stuff on the internet and calling it church. That's for the birds, man. That's not winning any souls. That's not changing a nation. That's not returning Jesus to this earth. That's not making way, preparing the way for the Lord. It's not. There's no way. When he literally gave a, 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 a directive, a command, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And even more so is the day that, I mean, it's as if the writer of Hebrews saw 2020 and said, put in the more so in there because that, that one year's coming and they're gonna add that in there. No, these are individuals, a brood of vipers, who warns you to flee. See, they respond to the warnings. They weren't coming. They weren't coming because they were ready. They weren't coming because they were repentant. They weren't coming because their hearts were challenged and confronted. Because in the very next verse, in verse 9, John the Baptist says this, do not presume to say to yourselves as a defense, we have Abraham for our father. So our inheritance assures us of salvation. What's that mean? That means that there are those that will rest on what they have done what they have accomplished, where they have been. And John the Baptist lets them know, your past will get you nowhere into your future. You've got to come to the same decision those that are far from God have to come to. You're gonna have to come to the same conclusion 
that the lost are coming to. You're gonna have to come to the, you're gonna have to formulate the same judgment principle that I need to repent. I need to change. I need to be confronted. I need to be baptized for the repentance and remission of sins. I need to receive. The kingdom of heaven is at hand and there's nothing that I have done that will allow me to walk in what God has for me. I have to have the same response regardless of what I've done, regardless of what I've gained, regardless of what I've grown to. The religious folks, the ones that have had a level of experience and a level of education and a level of, of, of gaining and acquiring what God is doing, still have to remain in a posture of repentance. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children or descendants for Abraham. Revival is not impressed by our accomplishments. Revival doesn't care about titles. I told you, it's rude revival. Revival doesn't consider what all you've done. Naturally speaking, if you do it for the right heart and you come with the heart that says, there's so much more I've got to consider. There's so much more I've got to see. There's so much more I've got to learn. It, it's, a, it's a truly teachable heart. It, it's, it's, a, it's a posture of the heart, not a posture of what I look like on the outside. See, these, these religious Folks, these Pharisees and these Sadducees were consumed by identity. They were consumed by what I've done. They were consumed by where I've been. They were consumed by what I've accomplished and what I've learned. And they were so consumed with themselves that they couldn't be consumed by him. He goes on to say in verse 10. And already the axe of God's judgment is swinging toward the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And as for me, I baptize you with water because of your repentance. That is because you are willing to change your inner self, your old way of thinking. Regret your sin and live a changed life. But he, the Messiah who is coming after me, is mightier, more powerful, more, more noble than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to remove. Even as his slave, he will baptize you who truly repent with the Holy Spirit and you who remain unrepentant with fire and judgment. Three things are listed here. Number one, he mentions an ax. Revival brings an axe. In revival, the axe is given to cut away that which does not need to remain. This is why we just said change is one of the most fundamental and, and paramount principles to the kingdom of God. Because ultimately, it's change that has to take place, a transformation that has to take place. 
You can come as you are, but he will not take you to leave you as you are. Uh, All that Jesus made available, all that Jesus died for, all that Jesus was persecuted for, and for us to remain in a previous state goes completely against the word of God. And that's not preaching down to you. That's not condemning you. That's not bringing an ax in the sense of trying to cut you off. He's trying to eliminate things out of your life, stuff that you want eliminated anyways. You're tired of living that way. I know you are. You're tired of dealing with that issue, that lust, that addiction, that pride, that fear. You're tired of it. You want it cut out. And the revival acts comes and cuts away. It exposes it. It makes you aware this is not in alignment. The acts comes so that you can cut off what does not need to remain and you become stronger and better as a result. The better you is on the inside. The greater you is on the inside. But let the axe cut away. Let the axe eliminate. Let the axe come and remove what doesn't need to remain. We said this a few weeks ago that Until I release what God asks, I can't receive what God has. So release it. Remove it. Let him cut it away. The glory of God has a way of revealing what doesn't need to remain. I pray at every single service we come to, Something is revealed that has got to be eliminated. And you can push back on it, and you can reject it, and you can, you, you, you can decide not to do anything with it. That's completely up to you. That's completely your choice. But when God's kingdom comes, it has a great way of shining on, shining a light on what we do really well at hiding in the dark. It brings it to light. It exposes it for the sake of correcting it. Revival has a great way of leveling the playing field. It does. It has a great way of leveling this thing out to where we all have something that we can give up, lay down. There's an ax. The second thing he mentions in verse 12, his winnowing fork. His winnowing fork is in his hand. The winnowing fork was actually a tool used in the harvesting of grain. That they'd cut it, it would blow it into the air, and the chaff would fall off of the wheat on the inside, and the chaff would be blown away, and the wheat would fall to the ground, and then you harvest what's good. The axe comes to remove. The winnowing fork comes to separate the wheat from the chaff. There is a division coming. It separates the truth from the lie. Boy, do we need that today. But we need some chaff to be blown off. It has no weight. 
So it's easily carried away. It doesn't stand. But the truth of God's word will remain. Revival has a great way of illuminating us to God's truth. So we come away with only what matters. Only what's important. Only what's really of him. And then the third. The third thing he mentions. Is fire. We have an axe. We have a winnowing fork. And the fire of the Holy Spirit. But when he comes, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, the fire of the Holy Spirit actually does two different things. If we did the axe right, if we did the winnowing fork right, the fire comes and it'll do two different things. The fire will burn up and consume what doesn't need to be there. And there will be that fire that comes. A revival fire burns up what doesn't need to remain. Burns up what needs to be removed. Burns up. It goes up in flames. But then the fire also purifies and consecrates that which does remain. We need the fire of the Holy Spirit to purify and consecrate us, to set us apart. It makes you stronger. It makes you better. It makes you more resilient. Worship team, if you come. I promise every week I try to come in here and not be as I don't know what the word is I'm looking for. Challenging. Confrontational. Because I want you to know my heart. Those of you that know my heart You know where I'm coming from. But this word is just bold. This word is just direct. And I have to present it in the manner that it's come to me. As a vessel and as a messenger, as an imperial herald, as a pastor, I don't get to manipulate the word and change not just the context of it, but even the presentation of it. If it's given to me bold, I have to give it to you bold. If it's given to me direct, I have to give it to you direct. If it's given to me confrontational, I have to give it to you. See, the word can, I could be saying the right things, but with the wrong presentation, the wrong package. If I try to water this down for you, then it's going to compromise its effect. Because there's a shaking taking place. There's a shaking. Would you stay with me? 
our church has become so responsive to the things of the Spirit. And I, I, I can't tell you how happy that makes me. It really does. What used to take a long time to conjure up or to make happen or to move, sometimes we, we would just never even get there. And I just have to say, we're just not there yet. We're just not there yet. Now in the split second, this morning in our Elevate pre-service huddle that we do with all of our teams, the Holy Spirit was so strong, it literally, we could have just kept on doing that until service time. I told you we're going to break the rules. Who says that we have to end that? Who says we have to send kids to a classroom? I'm just telling you, we're just going to follow the Holy Spirit. You may show up one day and the fire has already fallen and you just need to jump in and get in on it. There are some of you in this room, you are very well versed and you are, 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 are very well learned in the things of the Spirit. I need you now more than ever. I appreciate you being patient with me. I appreciate you being patient with our church knowing that there were things that we could be doing, but yet for the sake of the people, we were, we were coming alongside and teaching and training. And so that meant that we weren't doing so much demonstration, but now is the time for demonstration. Don't get caught on your heels. I need you now more than ever. Because I can tell you right now, if you are caught on your heels, you will get outrun by someone that is learning and discovering this brand new for the first time. You will get outrun. You'll get circled. You'll get lapped in the things of the Spirit. It's here. There's no more praying for it to come. There's no more waiting for it to come. There's no more, all right, we're almost, it is here. Thursday morning, I texted Dr. Gee. I said, it's here. Thursday morning, I texted Pastor Paul Brady. I said, it's here. Because those two men were completely, have a massive hand in what is happening. in the, Everything that has happened in this church from January 1 on to today, to right now, has been orchestrated, divinely orchestrated, divinely put in place. We're there. I'm telling that to all my spirit-filled group, all those that have been with us for 10, 8, 7, 5 years, wondering when are we getting there, when are we doing it? We're there. And there was such a responsiveness Wednesday night that I really didn't even preach or teach. And then this morning in a pre-service huddle. I mean, it wasn't even church yet, Right? But revival is here. Rude revival. Not the polite revival. Not the one that asks, is it okay if I do this? Is it okay? You know, people are okay with running and dancing and shouting and crying and emotion as long as it's not in church. The people saying that we shouldn't be doing that in church are doing it on Friday night or Saturday afternoon in a football game. 
You look stupid yelling at a TV screen. Don't tell me I look stupid raising my hands because my Savior died for me, gave his life for me, shed his blood for me, removed my past from me, gave me a future and a hope, gave me something to shout about, gave me something to cry about, gave me something to run about, gave me something to dance about, gave me something to rejoice about. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.